Hi, everybody, and welcome back to yet another cracking edition of the Matt Brown Show. This is the Secrets of Fail series, where we are talking to entrepreneurs and CEOs all about their epic business blunders. And with us in the hot seat today uh, is none other than Joseph Farrens. He is the co-founder and CEO of an cool, a very cool company, which we're going to get into now called GameFam. Joe, welcome to the show, dude. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Great to have you here, bud. So you know what's coming. Uh, so let's start with the elevator pitch. What exactly are you guys up to over there at GameFam? Yeah, we are the uh, world's leading developer of uh, content for Roblox, Fortnite, and other UGC gaming and metaverse platforms. We started the business about four years ago. We're um, kind of a combination of career, you know, multi-decade game industry uh, producers, marketers, and strategists, and then kind of 19 to 24-year-old um, uh, UGC gaming uh, creators. Uh, we started the business to create the next generation of, of mega franchises born off of these platforms. And, you know, we started with 25 players in our first ever game uh, four years ago. And uh, I checked this morning, we had 180,000 people playing our games uh, about five minutes ago. So it's been it's been a great ride. We've got partnerships with the National Football League, with Sega, with Paramount, uh, with Mattel, and a huge uh, brand partnership and advertising sales business um, on top of those IP partnerships as well. And um, every day is uh, an exciting adventure in the metaverse for us. And exactly. So I was going to ask you about the metaverse. How bullish are you on the metaverse as a concept? Like, do you see us fully in VR metaverse stuff, playing games in the next sort of, you know, 18 to 36 <clears throat> months? Or what are you seeing? Yeah, I think that the idea of user-generated content in 3D spaces is pretty well proven at this point and, and somewhat undeniable on a historical basis, right? You really can't compete with millions of people just making stuff out of passion with the desire to entertain and then eventually potentially make money off of other people who share their interests and 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 um, and, and entertainment enjoyment. So I think that we're seeing that when you democratize content, whether that's YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and now Roblox, and then Fortnite, that that creates compelling new forms of entertainment and engagement that will find huge audiences. So I'm very bullish. In terms of VR, I don't know. Uh, it's coming someday. It'll be better than staring at the screen, uh, you know, but I'm, I'm more bullish on it actually for uh, productivity right now than for uh, gaming, but I'd love to be wrong about that yeah uh, well if you talk to yeah. my son franklin who's eight he'll definitely disagree yeah <laughs> all right well, kids are VR junkie, it's always man. the youngest players yeah there's yeah. a there's a thing here called uh, sandbox vr so every opportunity mm -hmm. he uh, he can he's like dad dad let's uh you know let's go but he's on uh he's on call of duty and playstation like most of the days so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's an yeah, interesting space awesome. to see, especially being a parent, you know, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, well, it's always the youngest gamers and the youngest entertainment fans who I think are the most open-minded and who are responsible for platforms like Roblox, Fortnite, and eventually the emergence of, of a potentially a VR, uh, you know, business that is at scale for usage it's always got to start with people who don't have preconceived notions and who are open to being delighted and entertained by what comes across them. So that's the joy of being a fan and being a gamer. And 
uh, you never know where it's going to go. Absolutely. Well, look, um, let's get into the meat and the potatoes of this series. Uh, Joseph, what is your epic story of fail for our audience around the world today? Yeah, well, this is going to be terribly disappointing, but I've never failed at anything. I've only succeeded at everything I've ever done in life. So it's going to be a very short podcast for you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted to share a story uh, from a previous startup I was at that was working on a game I was very passionate about. And that game was actually called uh, Night Phone. It was a project between myself, a partner studio in Los Angeles, um, and a partner studio in Turkey. Uh, both of those studios have gone on to very successful um, endeavors with partners like um, Amazon and uh, Zynga. Um, and so these were very talented people. And we had this we had this thing we had been playing around with, and we called it night phone, like kind of like, you know, a knight, like a medieval knight on a horse with armor and, uh, you know, jousting spear. I don't know what you call that thing. Uh, a lance. So a lance. And uh, we, had, um, we had this incredible art style that we were so excited about. Do you know, like those 80s movies, like... Um, um, Last Unicorn or um, The Hobbit cartoon from the 80s. These are brilliant pieces of animated content by master animators. And they had this charm and warmth to them. And I can say this confidently because I just went back and watched Last Unicorn again like a month ago. It's probably like the fifth time I've ever seen it in my life. And these movies stand the, the test of time and the aesthetic of them was just incredible. And it's just gone by the wayside. And we had this idea to make a game that was a fantasy setting with that aesthetic from these masterful, beloved 80s animated fantasy movies. And the twist was that we were going to make it in pixel art. So it was like a double dose of nostalgia, right? It was like a, a double espresso of nostalgia with another extra double espresso shot poured into it was how I thought about it. And we started on the project and we had a working version of the game and we were nominated for like a ton of awards at a few different game shows. And there was, we were talking to publishers and then Slowly over time, the people who were funding the project started turning the screws and putting less and less money, paying the bills slower and slower. And eventually, kind of without warning, we ran out of funding and we never got to see the project through. And it was it was heartbreaking, right? Because I've gone on to start Game Fam and have, I would say, you know, pretty considerable, um, you know, success at scale with running a video game business. As I said, the other two partners on the game both have have built, you know, and, you know, multi-million dollar businesses and raised tens of millions of dollars from from investors for their ideas. And so we have this kind of <clears throat> tragic um, loss of this project that we all just were doing out of like pure excitement that is never going to see, never going to see the light of day probably. You know, it's been five years, so I think it's probably gone. Yeah, shame, man. That sucks, bad. That sucks so badly. Tell me, um, what actually happened then from there? Did the whole startup die, or and what was the reason for the the cash just not the burn? Was the burn too high? Like, what was the issue there? 
So I think that the startup that had been funding the project, I think did eventually go out of business. To be perfectly frank, I was um, so disappointed with the situation. I kind of lost touch with them. Um, And I think that the burn was consistent, but where we went wrong was not getting to actionable data quickly enough, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because the more I've worked in the space, the more I start to understand that a video game in the free-to-play setting, right? So like something like a Fortnite or a Candy Crush or, um, you know, a Call of Duty mobile, right? Games that are free-to-play, free-to-download. These games are, in a lot of ways, almost e-commerce businesses where the product is fun. You're selling fun to people. You're selling entertainment and you're getting people to pay for it as they go. And people who want to invest into these projects, people who make their living off of projects like this, they're evaluating the scalability of these things. If you want to have a big team and you want to have high quality professionals making something special, you've got to be able to pay them at competitive market salaries, right? And so you've got to have funding, but you can't have, you know, there's this balance between having enough product to put in the hands of players and um, having enough product where you can get actionable data from players that you can then use to show momentum and start to generate some revenue for the project and keeping the project um, in the in the tank for too long and never getting to those metrics. So that was where we went wrong is that we you need to be um, well, in my opinion, right, we had these dreams. We had these huge, huge creative dreams and we were bringing them to life. I mean, the game was really, really stunning. I wrote the theme song and recorded it myself. It was this like epic heavy metal like royal mashup thing it was so awesome and we needed to put a little bit less of our dreams and a little bit more practicality into the thing so it could be playable instead of let's do this before we let players play let's do that before we let players play let's add this other feature let's make sure we have this we needed to reallocate some of the funds from development into an initial marketing segment and start building a community of players around what was a very special game. Mm-hmm. So Joe, there's obviously a lot of lessons that come with an experience like that. Um, what stands out for you as a key thing that you now take forward into you know, game fam as a key lesson or insight? I think that product strategy and competitive benchmarking as the sanity check on product strategy is a huge pillar. So how much game do we really need in order to ensure that this game actually is going to get some traction in the marketplace? I think our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game that just came out two weeks ago is a great example of that the game we made at at game fam uh with our partners at paramount we 
have a huge vision for this Turtles game, right? But we had to make the movie date because that was a key marketing moment for the franchise that we wanted to be a part of. And I know our, our partners wanted us to be a part of with the project. So we looked across the Roblox platform and we said, where does this game fit in? What type of players is this game going to attract? And therefore, what are the features that will get the game to a sustainable player community that we can then start to build on? Here's this huge vision we have, right? But given that there's time constraints, given that there's logistics and budget constraints, what do we really need? And being really analytical and objective about that process. That's that's one of the the huge learnings, right? So here's how much I think we need. Now let's go out and benchmark that qualitatively against other products in the market using a series of, of smart producers, game designers, game analysts to validate it is a consensus building effort. And then two is budgeting, right? And I think, you know, of course this goes without saying in a lot of ways, right? This is obvious that you need to make sure you're allocating your budget. But I think what happens is I think there's a a deep entrepreneur's bias and fundamental fallacy that I've seen so many people buy into, including moi, uh, which is that my product is going to be so special it's going to take the world by storm and it's not going to require marketing because we're making something so unique, so different. And the whole world is going to immediately take notice. Yeah. I actually wrote about that in my book. It's, I call it uh, entrepreneur belief. It's like, you, yeah, you know, it's like you just believe so much in the thing that you're going to build that it yeah. actually, it, it's so powerful that it actually it, like reason and logic and, quantitative debt all these things don't matter as much as that um and yeah. to your point i think it's actually a, it's a it's an important thing to do right like how much am i actually drinking my own kool-aid on this thing yeah because there might be yeah. a gap in the market but is there a market in the gap you know right right exactly um and i think on linkedin i still see of course i see people doing this every day you know they're so excited before their product even comes out and i'm like I'm like, don't, I'm like, don't, don't hype your product before it comes out. Hype your product after you've got KPIs. You know what I mean? Like, let your KPIs do the talking for you. And that's how we've grown this company, right? So we, you know, we started GameFam with nothing, right? We had zero players. Um, but we wanted to immediately get data and get traction. And so we produced it's a series of very small initiatives that were very quick, but immediately started feeding back player data that we could then iterate on, test and learn, and have case studies that we could utilize as we grew the company. And this, again, seems obvious, right? But this is like, um, you know, more of a, uh, you know, this is a truly logic-driven process where I think so many entrepreneurs are so passionate. And of course, I, I understand that on a personal level and I respect it. And you've got to figure out where is that line between logic and passion and, you know, which parts of running your business are truly going to be logic driven and which parts are at the end of the logic road. And then you need to lean fully into passion and judgment. And I'm always trying to balance those and, and, um, 
have a clear-headed perspective on them. Mm. I couldn't agree with you more, mates. Uh, so, Joe, if you could get into the uh, Matt Brown show time machine and kind of go back to yourself when all this shit was going down, like, what would you do differently and why? <clears throat> I would have, on Nightphone, I would have de-scoped the product to say, you know, instead of trying to build a thing that could immediately get to significant usage and revenue, I would have built a smaller slice of the product to say, let me prove that people are going to like this. Yes, they're not going to have long-term retention. They're not going to have high monetization, but let's prove initial engagement and short-term retention. And then let's double down. Let's raise money against it. Let's go back to our investors or let's get to even better. Let's get to initial revenue and use that revenue to fund the rest of development. Instead of focusing on industry beating benchmarks out the door, which is, you know, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise. And as an entrepreneur and as a leader, you need to decide which parts of the noise you believe will help you get where you're going to go and which parts are people talking about ideals or opt or things that are um, optimal but aren't practical, mm. I guess. <laughs> True said, man. Listen, what's your advice, Joe, to other CEOs and uh, entrepreneurs about the importance of you know the process of failure uh, in becoming successful in your ambitions? You know, uh, th this is a great. This is a great podcast and i think that um i think there's a lot of value in people talking about what went wrong and acknowledging that things do go wrong and then what they learned from those things going wrong and i am very passionate about what i do at game fam i'm passionate about the field that we work in as a company and I'm passionate about doing everything to its best possible effect that I put my hands on. And that doesn't always happen. Um, that doesn't always, that doesn't always play out. So I think that, you know, what my advice is, is it's okay, of course, for things to go wrong, but when things do go wrong, how can you take a sober-minded point of view on what you did wrong and what you can do differently next time? And of course, I've met entrepreneurs and leaders who things go wrong and, and, and they say, look, I did everything right. I just had bad luck or whatever. That is unlikely. It's unlikely. You probably made some mistakes along the way where you could have de-risked things, where you could have had other contingency plans in case things did go wrong, um, where you didn't weigh risk and reward or cost and benefit properly at the right phase of a project or a business. And so I think my best advice is swallow your pride that you don't need to prove you're the smartest, that you're the best, that you're going to be uh, you know, the, the, the guy who, you know, or, or a person who can do no wrong and who has the golden touch. There's no point in any of that. The only point is results. And if you don't get the results you're looking for, 
What can you learn so that next time out you can get better results? That's how we approach things at GameFam. Learning from mistakes is one of our core values. And to that point, my I feel and I tell our teams and our other leaders tell our teams, it's okay to make mistakes if you knew what your goal was and then you can learn on how to do better next time, then that isn't really a mistake. That's really a learning opportunity. And learning is 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 a core value that I have as a person. It's a core value that I've tried to instill in game fam. Mm, amazing, man. Joe, um, what about books, tools, and resources that you that you recommend? What comes to mind for you? In terms of leadership, um, there was a great book that I read when um, I, I uh, first uh, took on the CEO role here called Hot Seat. Uh, I don't remember uh, the name of the author, unfortunately, but I'm sure if you look it up, it's like Hot Seat being a, you know, being a startup CEO. And that really was helpful in preparing me for some of the... Um, Jeff Immelt. Areas, Jeff Immelt. Oh, that guy is somebody. <laughs> uh, I believe, right? Uh, he's he's uh, he's a, a a big hitter uh, of some kind, I think. So, um, former CEO of General Electric. There you go. Okay, yeah. So my instinct was right on that. That's what I thought. I didn't want to say it <laughs> wrong, but for the record, I thought he was the former CEO of General Electric. So uh, yeah, that's a smart guy. So um, uh, yeah, that book was great. Um, I, I watch, uh, you know, I, I, I watch, um, a lot of, um, you know, YouTube videos, um, from other leaders I admire. Right. So that's really important to me is I'm listening to, uh, you know, people like, you know, I'm watching people like Bob Iger. I'm watching, um, you know, I'm watching leaders. I don't like, you know, people like, you know, I won't name I won't name any names, but uh, there's certain people in the tech space who I think uh, have a uh, terrible habit of of engendering uh, conflict and uh, discord uh, at a, across our society. So uh, I try to you know who do I look up to? Watch their interviews, listen to how they talk about things, look at their biographies and their histories, um, and then you know I just try to stay really current on on industry podcast for my industry. I want to know everything. I want to know everything happening, both on the creative side. I watch a humongous amount of gaming criticism. I watch a humongous amount of TikTok, play people, kids playing Roblox. I watch YouTubers playing Roblox. And I listen um, to uh, industry analysis um, on, on a weekly basis. I'm basically always feeding into um, the subject matter. I, I love it. And I, I can't get enough of it. In terms of leadership, though, you know, there's not, there's no, there's no substitute than going through it trial by fire, you know, and, and, but looking at leaders you admire, how do they conduct themselves? How do they deal with challenges? And then modeling yourselves, but even more importantly, every boss I ever had, I took away something. I don't want to do that. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was um, that was really important to me too. Awesome. What kind of leader don't? You, what kind of leader do you not want to be? I think that's um, really valuable because there's so many bad bosses and bad leaders out there, um, and um, 
I want to be a good, I want to be a good one. Mm-hmm. Well, you define yourself uh, by what you say no to more than what you say yes to. I found. Um, and I think, mm. especially when you're in the early startups phases, you, you want to say yes to everything because you feel like you, you have to, you're chasing everything down, yeah. trying to just make cash, whatever, yeah. you know, going after everything, a possible thing, but actually all you start to do is starve, you know? Um, and so if you learn to say no to nine things out of 10, the one thing that you get left with, that's what you will expand. And so what you, what you focus on always expands. I mean, even if you take the series, for instance, you know, started off with one one episode, obviously there's 800 in the show now, but started Mm -hmm. with one, we've done over, I think like 125, there's a book coming out, we've got God knows how many, uh, you know, pieces of content coming out around the book. And it's all because you just focused on the one topic, you know what I mean? Because we could have gone and done so many different things. But if we just said, no, fuck that, we're going to do this thing because this is what's important for the world right now from what I see as being important to the world um, and the difference that you want to make, you know. Um, and I think only when, you, when you've when you been through a number of startups, you know, you, you've had a failed experience, you've sold a company, all things have done, then you start to have perspective. So in many cases, I almost feel like it's better to be rich in perspective than rich in cash in many senses because if you have a rich perspective, you can always generate wealth. Um, and oftentimes if you're just chasing the, the ones and zeros and the cash in the bank, you wind up building businesses you don't like, or in fact, that you hate also being there. Um, and ultimately you become a miserable person, you know? And so that's what I'm saying. Perspective is really, really, really important. Um, and, uh, and, you know, hearing from you and what you've been through and, you know, and obviously, you know, you've, you've, you're kind of doing a lot of things, right? I mean, game fans, not a small company. Um, and, uh, and that's all credit to you, you know? Yeah. Thank you. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, at the end of the day, it really is about the people at the business, um, and who you bring in and how you treat those people. And that is how a business truly becomes successful. Because even if you're the most talented entrepreneur in the world, you cannot grow a, a business to, to scale on your own. You need great teammates around you and you need to treat them well, because one great person is, is, you know, can do the work of, of, you know, 25, you know, not as great people in my opinion. And so I really treasure my colleagues. And, and I think what you're describing, by the way, is strategy. We're a strategy driven or we've had four core strategies since the day we started the company four years ago. And we continue to lean on those four strategic pillars. They haven't changed. We go back to them every board meeting. We review them. How are we tracking against them? And I think that that is something that we were very strongly connected to was the idea of what is the strategy and is something on strategy or off strategy. And if you want to do something that's off strategy, then the strategy needs to change. There needs to be a bedrock of logic that defines what you do as a business, in my opinion, or you'll get, as you were saying, you'll get spread in so many different directions and none of it will create value because you'll be, you know, you'll be doing a little bit of too many different things. Mm. Well, Joe, it's been an absolute privilege having you on the show, dude. That does conclude your time in the hot seat. (laughs) <laughs> all right great great all right you see what i did there everybody yeah. you see what i did there yeah <laughs> uh well but done, uh well congrats man and all your success and like, obviously you guys are gonna obviously continue to to do that so wishing you and the team all the very best of the future okay 
All right. Thank you for having me on the show. It was a lot of fun. Anytime. Have a great rest of the day. Everybody else, we'll see you again soon. Ciao, ciao. 